You're listening to the Hypotheticals Podcast Season 2. I'm Andy. I'm Adriano, and this episode is sponsored by Wong Doody Crandallweener, purveyors of finest hot dogs and timely callbacks. Hi Adriano, how you doing? Andy, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good. Although, well, I'm a lot better than the dinosaurs, because as we all know, they are dead. <sighs> Boy, howdy. Apart, apart from birds, who are evolved from dinosaurs. Let's not go down that rabbit hole right now. What I want to know <laughs> is... etc. But... <laughs> yeah. How would you save the dinosaurs from the asteroid? Oh, man. Um, childhood me, very much in favour of this, obviously. I think I'd lo- it, there's like an age, right? I, some people never grow out of this phase, and I assume they're the ones who go on to be paleontologists. But there is an age, right? You can pretty much bracket any boy between the ages of something and something. I'm not sure whether the sort of the bookends on this are. And I don't want to exclude girls from this. I think uh, traditionally it's been more of a... A boy's... Um... Yeah, but Flora's obsessed with dinosaurs as well. Really? Well, there we go. That's a start. And I think it's probably just... It comes down to gendered toys and the way we raise them. And, you know, dinosaurs are rough and tumble and girls just have to play with princess dolls and so on. So uh, girls absolutely welcome to the dinosaur club. But there is an age, right? There's a dinosaur age. And I wonder... So saving them, would you need to catch dinosaurs themselves within that tender age group? So you need... So you, first of all, you need to make you need to make dinosaurs care about dinosaurs. Yes, I think that's the crucial part. I mean, isn't that <laughs> isn't that what we see like uh, now? In the, every time there's a there's a global crisis, there's one at the moment which actually affects us, which is unusual, you know, as uh, as white males in a first world country. Um, it's somewhat novel, but there's uh, there's horrible things happening all the time that like various demographics have to deal with tsunamis and you know earthquakes and oppression and, and all sorts of societal ills and ultimately getting people to care about it and do something about it like that's a big that's a gargantuan effort i think you've got to start with education programs you've got to start you know on a, on a social level yeah so like uh, distributing pamphlets to the dinosaurs yeah raise awareness get the right hashtags yeah kind of like the uh, the nuclear program kind of um things in the 1950s and 60s exactly so it's like, you've, you've got to be prepared for nuclear attack at any time please get under your desks and then they do those drills where it's like hey yes. this is totally going to help if there's a nuclear attack this this thin desk and having your hands on your head yeah you'll be totally fine duck and cover the bombs are coming down yes exactly <laughs> now offspring of t-rexes uh, possibly other raptors and things they're in trouble they're not going to be able to do that. Because <laughs> they got little arms. They, they do. They, they can't reach up. No, they're not going to stop any debris, you know, clogging their uh, airways or whatever it is that they were supposed to defend you against. It's just, it's the brace position from planes, basically. It's the same logic. It's like, if you're going down in a screaming fireball, may as well have something to do, I suppose. I think the brace position presumably, like, marginally increases your chances of survival if it turns out not to be a bad impact. Or maybe it's just quite comfortting, you know, like... Oh, you're in the kind of fetal position at that point. It's like, oh, this is, you know, I mean, yeah. this isn't nice, but it's as nice as it can be. It's, I'm cosy. I've got my little hands on my head. It's nice. It's nice. Everyone's doing the same thing. This is like a tribal ritual. It's bringing us together. We're all, you know, we're returning to the womb. And um, if everyone braces hard enough, the plane will fly again. That's the secret <laughs> they don't tell you. That's true. Yes. It's like clapping your hands for fairies. So <laughs> yeah. if the dinosaurs had just believed with sufficient fervor, you know, it's possible they were worshipping the wrong gods. We don't know. What do they do to anger them? It's it, Maybe this this is an issue of, uh, you know, burnt offerings, um, ritual prayers, like things just were not carried out. You know, oh, goodness. Do you think maybe they, they um, 
did they make same-sex marriage legal or something? Because <laughs> well, we know that's, that's dangerous. <laughs> maybe that's the thing. The dinosaurs, um, they missed out on Jesus. They were, you know, they were millions of years early. And if we could somehow get Jesus to the dinosaurs, maybe they'd be all right. You know, any prophet really would be an improvement. I don't, I, like, what were they doing? I don't think we've discovered any kind of um, iconographic representations of uh, religious dino figures like were they bothering at all did they even did they have a a holy sabbath day yeah you know i mean everyone talks about the sequel to uh the bible the second coming but no one talks about the prequels (laughs) and i think what we need to do is create a jesus prequel um where he goes back in time and uh yeah, he, he deflects the asteroid from dinosaurs. Earth, presumably. Jesus, essentially, yeah, or some other prophet. I mean, um, what is oh, it? Oh yeah, let's not let's not uh, pick out a single prophet. No, it would be tremendously um, sort of uh, Judeo-centric is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. The the Abrahamic Judaic religions, like there's other religions, and uh, you could send any prophet, you know, or a, ideally a committee of prophets back in time, you know, to choose their own uh, worthy peoples to survive. But yeah, presumably it was their sort of anarchic pagan. Um, you know, just just apathy, or or who knows? Maybe they were engaging in in you know orgiastic hedonism and part of that. <laughs> you can't. We but don't know. Maybe they again, the T Rexes did struggle with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult habits to kick. I mean, just the gambling and the womanizing, and uh, it's not right. But they they struggled just throwing the dice. Those tiny hands. They couldn't. They couldn't do it. <laughs> it's true. And the like. Um, do people wear hats when they gamble? Uh, yeah, yeah, always, always, always right. <laughs> That's one of the. You can't gamble if you're not wearing a hat. And I feel like two options are either some kind of fedora or like those um, the visors that don't have a like a hat part. There's no crown. Oh, like you a sort of I mean? gol- a golf hat. I guess, but mean? like with a transparent visor so that you yeah, can like yeah. go ka-ching, ka-ching and like count your winnings and look, I don't know. The point is, di- uh, like uh, dinosaurs in hats. That's great. T Rex in hat. He's. It's not going to work. It's not. The head is too large. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, the real that's issue. Not work. No, and actually, I'm talking again about the 1950s, um, you know, survive the atomic blast uh, propaganda. I recall seeing uh, what I, pre- I presume was a genuine article because it's too funny not to be uh, an illustration, a technical illustration of a man wearing a wide brimmed hat. Um, mm-hmm. As apparently they were all advised to do, um, because this would shield to some degree against the uh, the you know the savage nuclear glare right uh, yes. of the blast going off. Yeah, exactly. So like as as most of your skin is just being basted in those harmful rays, uh, whichever portion of your face is is shaded by that brim, perfectly safe. That it's. I mean, that's a bit like saying, okay, we're all going to look at the sun, but <laughs> one of you gets a pair of sunglasses I bought for a pound yes. from a guy on the street. <laughs> They're not even like normal tinted glasses. They're like shutter shades or something, you know? Like you're still yeah, yeah. going to get seared, but just like in a stripe pattern. <laughs> yeah, that's what's going on. Exactly. Or it's like, listen, you're all going to be standing next to a nuclear blast, but one of you gets to wear sunglasses. <laughs> and everyone fights to be that guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, back in the day, there was no shortage of wide brimmed hats. Um and possibly, you know, the economy just wasn't set up right. To, I think I think dinosaurs may have specced in the wrong directions. They got real big. They were great at reaching those tall trees, presumably, doing whatever it was. Um, but they didn't work on their, their wide-brimmed hats. That's no. what they should have been working on. Because no if you had a wide enough brimmed hat, then presumably the asteroid would enter the brim <laughs> and it would spin around it and it would launch itself back out into space. <laughs> just slingshot off, exactly. Yeah. Well... <laughs> 
Speaking of slingshots, <laughs> mm-hmm. we have previously discussed giant catapults as, uh, I think we were talking about uh, them transport. as an economic boon. Yes. Oh, there we go. Yes. Uh, transport. Um, if what you wanted to transport was uh, <laughs> a very uh, large, um, searing hot uh, lump of rock or ice or whatever mm-hmm. it was, uh, could you do better than some kind of space catapult? I don't think so. So essentially, it's like it uh, you construct this massive giant catapult and it hits it and it bungees down and it almost touches the Earth. Yeah, so almost. And it shoots off into space. And maybe it hits the moon or Mars or something. Yeah, but um, something that's important. <laughs> it's okay. We're not living there. And you'd get the daredevils who want to like lie on the impact zone, you know, just to watch it like come down. And then you'd have, you know, the authorities arguing over like whether or not that was safe and then having to set up a perimeter. And you probably waste a lot of time with that. Um, but overall, I think it'd be worth it. Yeah, the daredevil saws. They're, they're all lined up under there. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah, waiting exactly. for it to come. Yeah, so really, they just didn't prepare well enough. I, I think you've got several options. You either you, you want the giant net in the sky to catch the thing. Um, possibly you could, in fact, use the, the catapults to fling yourself to safety, you know? <laughs> On another planet. Oh, yeah, or, you know, just the moon, somewhere like nearby. Or you use it to sacrifice some dinosaurs and fire them into the asteroid to deflect its course. Oh, yeah, you could you could arrange society um, sort of by most expendable to least expendable. Yes. And just start flinging, and you stop when the momentum has been adequately reduced. Or, alternatively, rather than doing it via a flinging mechanism, you instead create a cushion. So you create a massive pile of your most dispensable dinosaurs that no one really likes. <laughs> oh, I see. Not a cushion <laughs> and, made of cushions. Like, no, you're not going to use soft cotton or, like, feathers no, or what have you. They no, don't no. have those tools, but what they do have is body mass. They have that in spades. Yeah. So you just line up all your biggest, your most expendable dinosaurs, um, and it just uh, cushions the impact. It's pretty gory. Right, but what, what heroes? You put up a statue to them, you know, made of their own bones or whatever. Yeah. Whatever material is ready to hand. Yeah, at body mass, you've got to play to your strengths. That really is what the dinosaurs had in space. They were very large. And what we're talking about is a large rock. Now, we puny humans, you know, tiny mammals, we'd be, we'd be scuppered against a large rock. We've got to play to our strengths. Uh, you know, that's, that's technology, tool use, problem solving. Maybe it's silly for us to, you know, maybe, maybe we're dealing with um, like brain size privilege over here. We need to see past that, realize they're going to solve this problem in their own way by being very large. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and and another thing about the dinosaurs, there were certain dinosaurs which were very tall, which would also come in handy because if you're, let's say, a brachiosaurus with your really long neck, mm-hmm. um, perhaps you could build a massive tower of yes, brachiosaurus yes, yes. in a kind of a lattice type structure, like something that is is actually better at catching asteroids than if you just stacked people in a kind of a dense brick like formation. Mm-hmm. You get the world's best um, dinosaur stackers, uh, card stackers. Yes, and you send them back in time. Um, and they, they've got a, I mean, it's a slightly different medium, cards and, and, uh, several ton brachiosaurs. Anyway, uh, and they stand them all on top and either they act as a sort of net or they just, um, you have a, a dinosaur at the top with a big stick and he pokes, pokes the <laughs> asteroid and cause it only needs a tiny deflection and it'll, you know, That's be much true. Uh, reduced. You build that tower tall enough. You could just, yeah, you know, get that thing to swerve right past. It just becomes an, an attraction instead of, um, you know, a, a, a multi-species extinction event. Speaking of attractions, maybe the the key thing is that I always thought it was quite silly that seeing this new sun appear in the Earth, uh, the dinosaurs just sort of stuck around 
um, you know, underneath it to all get squished, which yeah, I what, gather is what, what happened. Absolute idiots. Yeah. Oh yeah. They all they all saw the light in the sky and they all went, "Look, the light in the sky!" And they all swarmed like moths. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to, exactly. To stand directly to, underneath to it. that Mexican, you know, uh, plateau or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's really dumb. Um, what if they just not, you know, not been there? Just just go away from that area. Mm-hmm. Go on holiday. Yes, exactly. Go on holiday. And I appreciate it's very difficult. Again, it's very difficult to get people to um, deal appropriately in situations of panic or of newness. You know, you get people who get killed in the in the stampedes rather than in the in the terrible event. You know, it's not the shooter who kills people. It's the, the people running away who trample other people, that sort of thing. So you need to think about things carefully. Take a, you know, a top down approach. Um, but yeah, you could offer... How do you incentivize uh, dinosaurs to move away? Um, package deals, I'm pretty sure. They, they love a package deal. <laughs> just, uh... Holiday style? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, could, come um... to the other side of Pangaea or, or whatever. Introduce cheap cruises, just like really subsidize that industry. Um, yeah. You know, because maybe the ocean is even safer than like the opposite end of uh, this, you know, giant landmass. Yeah, because you're on the ocean. There's going to be some waves or whatever up and down a little bit. But, um, you know, Ooh. then you're fine. I've had an idea. Maybe you get all the dinosaurs and you build a... It's sort of like a Noah's Ark scenario. You build a massive container full of all your dinosaurs, but instead of, like, floating out on the ocean, you either launch it into space to come back in another 60 million years, or you bury it deep within the ocean. And then they keep, you know, breeding and whatever within their own little... Whatever they want to do. ...atmosphere. And Mm. then... It's like a sort of Atlantis situation. The dinosaurs then rise up from the deeps and uh, take back their rightful place as uh, conquest, conquest, conquistadors of the earth. Conquistadors, conquerors, conquerors. That, something. That's a better word. I like it. I like conquistadors. Dino- con- conquistasaurus. Conquist- there's something there. <laughs> yeah, there's something. I think that's fantastic. And actually, I was going to suggest the the mole man approach. Just drill straight down. You know, because what what did survive ultimately? Like wretched, tiny mammals, your little, <laughs> your burrowing creatures, like things too small and puny and useless. Um, you know, for the for the asteroid to even bother with. Uh, so dinosaurs <laughs> should have taken the same tag. Like these majestic creatures, if they just you know taken like the dwarven approach, hollowed out their great halls beneath the earth, mm-hmm. um, they could be cozy, cozy. Um, <laughs> that's that's a shorthand for cozy within the soil. Yep, yep. Um, Coisy. Yeah, they could be deep within um, Mother Earth's uh, warm, damp embrace right now. But I do instead... like the idea that the dinosaurs are due to come back, though. They've been out in space and or they are the seas. now voyaging back towards us. And at some point, it's going to be like this is probably the plot to the next Jurassic World film or whatever. They're just, yeah. just in a crash land and we're like, oh no, it's aliens. Like, ha, fooled you. It's dinosaurs. It's actually dinosaurs. <laughs> and we're back. the T-Rex. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Jurassic Mars or, or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did H.P. Lovecraft know something we don't? I mean, Cthulhu has got something a little dinosaur-esque about him. We're talking about a scaly, green, winged, you know, titan. And he lives deep beneath the waves. And maybe the Loch Ness Monster is a dinosaur that got confused and thought that Loch Ness was actually part of the ocean. Yeah. So uh, he, you know, he dives down. And it's like, oh, this doesn't go very far, does it? It was enough to save him. But he's just stuck there now. But none of his mates made it, is a thing. He was a sole survivor. Yeah, because he was buried at the right at the bottom of them and they absorbed the impact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the least, you know, the least popular one. Um, they all no, he, he, he was the most, he was the most popular one. Oh, they were like, we'll save you, Jer- uh, Jerry, yeah, yeah. whatever. Just down you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone <laughs> yeah. dog pile on Jerry. 
That's how he grew so big, because there's so much food at the bottom of that <laughs> lock. Ooh, yeah, that's dark. But, you know, you do what you've got to do to survive the, lo- you know, yay, these long eons. Uh, yeah. Until your, your, your sea-bound brothers return, and you can take back the land that is your birthright. I sense a film coming on. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's very strong, because actually, we can agree, it's very distressing um, that, that we and our fellow mammals and whatnot have been the inheritors of this Earth. It's just... I don't know. There's something a lot more majestic about dinosaurs. You know, every child, as we said, within a certain age bracket, will agree on you, uh, agree with you on this. And I mean, ultimately, what like what's best at uh, surviving these events? It's things like cockroaches. They should be the expendable ones. We shouldn't be building giant piles of uh, you know dinosaurs to be turned into jelly or into you know oil or diamonds or whatever. We should be. They should have been building giant cockroach shields. Those things are proof against anything. And there's loads of them. Stick them together, build yourself a giant dome, hide under there. <laughs> yeah, I guess... Uh, how would that work logistically is my main my main concern, because it would start to rot after a while. It would take a long time to gather all these cockroaches together. Well, okay, but we're assuming that they've got a little bit of warning time, I guess. Um, you need a, a bit of warning time. But the thing is, these guys... Okay, at the cost of, of getting a little too serious, because I... I I'm absolutely adamant nobody should ever learn anything on the show. Knowledge is very dangerous, <laughs> uh, and we aim to mitigate uh, the harmful if effects of education. If they learn anything, it's going to be about Terry Pratchett or the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and that is it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's just, that's just my attempt to induct people into sort of further realms of nonsense. Um, so, yeah, but I, I, did, I did do a little bit of reading on what may have been legitimate, informative websites. Or possibly not. I didn't do much research into my sources, so hopefully this is all bogus. Okay. Um, <laughs> turns out, turns out, scientists have several times speculated, or possibly bloggers, I don't know, these people claim to be scientists, several times speculated that actually the dinosaurs are very unlucky. Um, because, turns out, there were a bunch of uh, awful environmental events that happened in the few million years leading up to... Um, this big rock impact, which mm. might have made it particularly bad timing. So we're talking earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, temperature fluctuations that basically had the effect of reducing the biodiversity of your herbivores at the bottom of the food chain. Uh, okay. Right. That, so would, that, that when, would make sense. Yeah. So that when the, the thing hits and now suddenly you're dealing with like all the soot goes up in the atmosphere, you've got a winter... Everyone, there's not enough biodiversity. Everybody's specked into like specific dependence on like X amount of sunlight or these specific plants or whatever. Now they don't get that anymore. Everybody dies. Nobody's occupying those like special niches that might have made it. Your herbie boys die. Herbie, herbie boys. Um, <laughs> I think I just said, but I'm sticking with it. Your herbie boys die, uh, and then your carny boys are going to follow because there's nothing to eat, right? So that's that. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I think because in the, in our current again going serious. In our current uh, climate of, you know, um, climate change and uh, pollution <laughs> and various sorts of change. things. Yes. <laughs> um, it's making our biodiversity shrink. And again, if, if like an asteroid hit, you know, next Tuesday or maybe like in a hundred years, that would be devastating on our... Especially if everything's just just adapted to living in this like this new climate and suddenly you've got a massive shift and everything goes cold again that would be pretty bad so i gather exactly so you know we can cut a bit of slack or we can decide that actually they should have seen the freaking signs coming okay particularly if they've been busy lying around not making you know the requisite obeisances to various deities and just generally not taking things seriously like earth has been trying to kill them off for several million years and they're like, that's fine. We don't need any backup plans or whatever. When the, the killing blow finally strikes, 
we agree on just a mutual suicide pact. We're all going down and we're leaving Earth to these cockroaches. The thing is, though, that they did leave a few um, ancestors in birds. So maybe they didn't all agree, right, we're just going to go down with the ship. But they put all of their hopes, they, they choose out these few select species of dinosaur uh. and say, you, you are the best adapted to this crisis. You're the ones which will uh, take our our DNA onwards and into the new millennia that come. And carry on our stories. Yeah, so they, they protect them. So maybe birds are actually the ones which were at the bottom of this pile of dinosaurs that were sacrificing themselves and, uh, and they flew their way out of there. That's actually a really good point because I'm very unclear on how birds actually survived. Seems to me that if what you end up is an atmosphere just clogged with, uh, you know, dust, debris, birds aren't going to be having a great time of it either. I can well, picture I, I, cockroaches. Obviously, there weren't, there weren't birds at the time, so there were just the ancestors of birds. But again, right. I, I imagine, I'm, I need to do my research, but anyway, I imagine it's <laughs> no, because these, <laughs> these ancestors were probably very small and actually quite similar in a lot of ways to mammals. Uh. Um, because we know that a lot of dinosaurs, or all dinosaurs possibly, were warm-blooded anyway, like birds. Um, really? And had, uh, some of them had feathers and stuff. So they were already like, they had all the kind of things they need to survive um so i guess if the small mammals are surviving there's no reason the really small dinosaurs aren't surviving i see so we just came back to birds and we, did, we didn't get birds from the flippity flappity pterosaurs and things no no that sounds about right to me well look here's another thing for you some more science i'm about to drop uh some other scientists were like actually they were crazy unlucky in terms of location so not just timing but uh, the figure I remember reading, which is utterly meaningless without context, um, was 13%. They decided that it was 13% likely that the asteroid would hit where it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what particularly screwed them, because apparently uh, the rock there in this particular area of Mexico was very rich in hydrocarbons, which apparently, when ignited by the, uh, the superheated debris, generate a lot more soot than other rocks. Oh, right. So you could have smashed rocks like 83% of the globe would have been fine. Just whack it with a big old rock and you're fine. I mean, it's going to be bad, but not like kill all the dinosaurs bad. But it struck in like just the right place. So it sounds to me like, the, you know, whoever threw this asteroid is, this is a real Hail Mary shot. Yeah, it's well, it, it, sounds, it sounds like Jesus wouldn't have wanted to go back to save the dinosaurs because it's all part of... The, the big guy's plan. plan. This is some divine... Yeah, well, I say nuts to that. What if they'd all just lined <laughs> up and run in the same direction? You know, maybe they could have sped up the spin of the planet a little bit or slowed it down and just rotate that globe a smidge just to scooch it over. Yep. And then the rock lands somewhere else and you're fine. You get some good cardio in in the meantime so you can survive that, you know, soot-clogged <laughs> nuclear That winter. was the problem. They, they were all lazy and they didn't do enough cardio. Otherwise, they'd have been fine. <laughs> So ultimately, it does all start with education. You can't get these <laughs> yeah. dinosaurs working out. You've got to get them taking part, caring, you know, taking a political stance and, uh, you know, working in the community. And, and having a better diet because some of these dinosaurs, their diet was very meat heavy. And uh, we've all seen in the news how meat is not oh, a good, yeah. uh, not a good diet. Meat. No, it's bad for the ecology. It's bad for your arteries. And it's bad for those herby boys. <laughs> it's very bad for the herby boys. <laughs> but they were delicious. Because <laughs> of all the herbs. Oh, um, that was their true failure, yes, too well seasoned. Uh, another idea I had was um, that you could, uh, I, I guess in a similar vein, you could breed um, asteroid resistant dinosaurs. Oh, yeah, that's the sweet spot. So, much how you get in a, in a sales room, you might get scratch resistant coating. 
You just mm-hmm. make asteroid-resistant dinosaurs. Yeah, just splice that DNA with some cockroaches or whatever. They're going to be they're, they're going to be proof against anything. Yeah, or just I don't know, make them uh, out of something which I don't know. Would it just deflect the asteroid? I don't know how you'd make an asteroid-resistant dinosaur. What are dinosaurs? Uh, sorry, what are asteroids afraid of? Like what you know the way uh, uh, there's comets? a whole. Are they? Like, do <laughs> I they don't fight? know. I mean, was it an asteroid or a comet? Apart from anything else, I'm not actually sure. I think that we decided it was an asteroid, but I'm not sure. Okay. Well, if we decided it, then it must be true. <laughs> I, I, maybe, maybe a special breeding wouldn't even be necessary. Maybe you could just uh, like arrange rocks or dinosaurs into a pattern. Did Did you ever do this at school? I remember. I, yes, I, I arranged ever... dinosaurs into a pattern. <laughs> Thank goodness. Then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I have a very clear memory of our head teacher standing on the roof and yelling down through a megaphone at teachers who were corralling <laughs> us. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but he was yelling, yes, I'm going to do it. You can't stop me. Um, and what we did, why did you take a megaphone up there? So we'd all know it was at lunchtime. All the children were out. He was like, I'm going to make you watch. No, this is dark. Um, oh so he was out there and he was shouting instructions down because a helicopter was going to fly over uh, school and take a photo. And this is very exciting. And we were going to all stand in our, in our classes in a special formation to spell out words. I, I think we were just spelling out the name of our school or something. Um, I cannot remember what the purpose of this was. Presumably there was one. But I, th- I think at that, at that tender young age, um, just, you know, getting your picture taken by a helicopter was like its own reward. Uh, and then, you know, subsequently we all speculated as to like where we were like, oh, yeah, I was I think I was part of the sea um, and so on. So point I'm making is uh, you pile up people big enough and it's visible from uh, I, where do helicopters fly like low earth, low earth orbit. I don't know. But dinosaurs much bigger, bigger stacks. You could make some really big words um, that are very offensive to asteroids or <laughs> asteroids go home. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Try and demoralize the asteroids. No, asteroids. Yeah, you're not welcome here. Just make them understand. Or, you know, maybe that would just further incense them. Yeah, you wouldn't want to provoke the asteroid. So maybe the first thing you've got to do is some market research. Mm-hmm. Do some polling. Figure out what the, what's the motivation of these space rocks. Yeah, you, you hold out microphones in space as, as other asteroids go past. <laughs> you and get your best dinosaur listeners, yeah. <laughs> to try and get a poll and get an idea of, of what they're thinking, what their objectives are. You carefully gather meteorite fragments and, you know, you try, you, you, you ask them, you poll that. Like, obviously, you know, maybe they're, they're not going to be, it's not a direct line through, but you're going to get some data, oh, which maybe in aggregate. You gather all your meteorite fragments and you put them together and uh, so that it's like it resembles a small asteroid and you say, look, look, we've got one of your cousins. <laughs> if you hit us, you know, the asteroid oh, this, gets it. This is all, all like this is what's going to happen to you. Like, you know, look at look at everyone else who hits us. Like you think it's all fun and games, but this is what happens to you. Yeah. Have you really done your research on uh, how much through? oxygen is in our atmosphere? Yeah, that's that. That's gonna burn you up coming in, son. You're not gonna like it. Or, or maybe you know, maybe these asteroids are, are, are deeply unhappy, and what they need is is talking down from the ledge. They they need someone to listen. Well, I imagine the life of an asteroid is quite lonely, and maybe the actual objective of the asteroid is, is to become one with the Earth. It, it it's wants, about communion. Yeah, it wants to become part of something greater, and it's seen Earth from across space, and it's gone, wow, that planet has got it going on. All these other planets there, you know, there's no life, there's nothing. I'm going to yeah. come in with a warm hug 
and I'm going to bring <laughs> the gift of precious metals for future generations. Yeah, I got all these heavy metals in here. I'm going to bring in that, that, that sweet heat from the friction. Life forms love that, right? I mean, like, oh, I'm so, I'm so nervous. Like, I'm showing up to this life party. What, yeah. do, what do I bring? Everyone loves heavy metals and, and, and rocks, right? Yeah, classics. I love <laughs> the idea that the asteroid is coming with the best of intentions, and it just wants to be part of it. And it's coming in with a big hug. It's like, yay, Earth, I made yeah. it. And all the <laughs> And then it sees all the dinosaurs turning away and running. It's like, no, what, what's happening? And that's my and friends. No, yeah. And that's that's all. It, that's the last thing it knows. Or did it achieve its objective? Maybe it's really happy now that it's finally part of everything. Maybe yeah, it, you know, it wanted to become part of smartphones. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> that was the key thing. It wanted the internet to be discovered. It wanted us to be recording this and distributing it on media made from <laughs> you know distant fragments of its of its corpse. Yeah. We did it, Andy. <laughs> we saved him. <laughs> Andy, I'd like to bring the conversation around to Hearthstone for a moment. Yes, your favourite uh, game? Yeah, well, it, it, you know, my interest has dropped off a little bit, but uh, I did play it for many years. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, it's uh, it's a it's a video game, and you can play it on your phone uh, or other stuff. Basically, at its core, it's a deck builder. So if you were a super cool kid and you played with your Yu-Gi-Oh cards or your Pokemon cards or your Magic the Gathering cards or your Digimon cards or whatever other kind of cards, then you already know the concept. Um, and the idea is you put together a deck of cards and then you pit it against someone else's deck. You, you're with me so far? Yes. You're familiar with this. You played it too. I did. And <laughs> Yeah, there we go. And you know that it's about finding the right synergies. You need cards that are going to work well together. You need to like anticipate strategies. It's about like a sufficiently diverse toolkit, basically. Yeah, and you'll, right? have, you'll have cards which complement each other, and you can get combos and be like, ha-ha, I've dominated you, and you suck. Um, Precisely. That's yeah. the ultimate goal of all games. Now, sometimes they will mix up the rules. They've got a special mode called a Tavern Brawl where every week there's a kooky new rule set um, where, you know, like this this week you get a random deck and it's all legendary cards or whatever. And something they do sometimes is they will let you make a deck, but you only get three cards instead of the usual 30. So you mm-hmm. just pick your three favorites that you think work well together and then it will fill your deck with copies of those cards. So normally you're limited. You can only have two copies of each card or one copy if it's a legendary. Now, if you've got three cards that work super well together, they just have an incredible synergy, and the only limiting factor is that they're diluted through a 30-card deck, now you have just those, and it completely changes the meta game. Uh-huh. <laughs> so naturally, this got me thinking about the human condition and uh, how we orchestrate societies. So my question to you is, say you had a society handed to you, much the way that someone might give you an empty deck slot, mm-hmm. um, but you're only allowed to pick one person and they're just going to make copies of that person and fill society with it. <laughs> okay. Right? So how, yeah. how literal is this? Is it literally one exact person or is it like a personality type? Um, I assume breeding we are discounting from this. <laughs> It's a little tricky, isn't it? Yeah, I, I guess for breeding, like you'd want a like double fertile hermaphrodite. I'm not even sure if we have those biologically. Let's assume science can overcome the breeding issue. Like we're yeah, fine we're, with just in vitro cloned. babies forever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's all clones. So it's it's a sort of um, everyone's died out, 
the aliens rock up and they're like, huh, there's all this infrastructure kind of already here, these resources, this planet was doing fine, but, uh, you know, everyone died because of, uh, you know, they were all eating, they were all eating cayenne pepper and it turns out it's totally poisonous, <laughs> they just didn't know. So yeah. all the people are dead, but everything else is here. We just need new people. But we've got a budget for this sort of operation. Uh, we've been sent a mono cloner. We can only introduce one specimen and then just clone that one over and over. So yeah, they, they only carefully. managed to find one body left and they use that as their template. There we go. Exactly. They've got no other like DNA. They don't have the time to like model it, sequence it, whatever. They're just like, okay, just this, this, this is the guy. This is Mr. Humanity now or Miss Humanity or whatever. So what person would you like hope and pray those aliens would find? Like what would you, what would you want? Well, I, yeah, I think you would want someone, this might be a bit of a curveball, you would want, want someone who is ultra indecisive. Because Ooh. if you think about it, I mean, there are obviously massive disadvantages to this. Nothing, it, everything would take ages to actually discuss and take, like, society would be so slow in any sort of progress of anything. But on the other hand, you'd have no argument because they don't care or they don't, they don't care enough to disagree with you. There's no uh. conflict because everyone's like, hey, I don't, you know, whatever you want to do. Yeah, whatever you want to do. I don't know. What, what do you want to do? So there's no conflict because yeah. no one cares enough. Um, Just Mr. or Miss Apathy. Yeah, but and no one, no one minds that everything is extremely difficult and extremely slow because they're so indecisive. So they just assume that someone else will do it and they don't, but that's fine because they don't have to do it. And But they can be put in any job and even if they, you know, well, they don't really have an opinion of the job. They don't really like it, but they don't dislike it. And if they get asked like, hey, what do you think of this job? You know, as a, um, what's a terrible job? As a, an unclogger of those like fatbergs in sewers, um, oh yes, and they'd be like, "What? Well, hey, how are you finding the job? Do you wish they were less fatbergs?" They'd be like, "Yeah, it's fine, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's whatever." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, do you, I mean, do you, do you want me to really stop?" And they'd it. be like, "I don't, I don't really mind." It's like, "Do you, do you want to stop?" No, I, I mean, if you want me to, I, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Just everyone takes the path of least resistance, and so whatever society eventually becomes, because you you lose all the like the the fired up innovators, the entrepreneurs, all the people who, you know, want to make things interesting. Mm -hmm. Everything would become more generic, but just more peaceable. Yeah. It would I like be, that. It, it may not, um, it might quite easily fizzle out as a society because there's nothing driving you forwards. Um, Maybe. And, the, and there's no real reason to maintain what there currently is, but I don't know. Well, maybe you just need, like, a mild-mannered everyman of simple pleasures, you mm. know? They don't care about getting to Mars, but, you know, maybe they, you know, they like to curl up with a good book and a cup of tea at the end of a long day, and so they'll do what it takes to, you know, keep the publishing industry going, and uh, whoever just makes biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> I guess what, what would be interesting in this scenario, if everyone was the same, is how to avoid Tragedy of the Commons type situations. What's well, that? So Tragedy of the Commons is um, a reference to... Uh, if everyone has an equal share of a resource and can take as much as they want, what's to mm. stop everyone from taking as much as possible and then no one has the resource anymore? Uh. So this is how it, like, climate change is often talked about politically in this sense because everyone technically loses out, but if you steal a bit more than someone else, then mm. it's not going to make that much difference. Yeah, this is like a prisoner's dilemma type thing. Like you're yeah. benefited from screwing others over, even though technically if everyone cooperated to the utmost degree, everyone would win the most. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I, I guess you'd want people who were... Um, I guess I guess the thing is, you want people who are massively selfless. Exactly. This is what I got to thinking. Like, does altruism just become like the supreme virtue? I mean, arguably, it already is the supreme virtue. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is the point of like um, bee colonies, is that... 
like obviously there's a bit more variation but all of them are very very similar they all do quite similar jobs Mm -hmm. and they're all massively dedicated to the cause it's a bit like communism um in the everyone like puts the colony and the needs of the colony above their own lives and above their own needs like there's exactly there's some ants which are literally just like they're just filled with um food for the colony they're like living food stores they don't really really do anything they just sit there and get like milked for the food that's stored in them every now and then incredible i had no idea that sounds like ants though yeah it's like true (laughs) communism that actually works and doesn't get bogged down in corruption and paperwork and stuff but the issue is you've still got some diversification of roles there Mm -hmm. yes so i don't know because you can't have a hive with just worker bees no you need the queen so you do need the queen Mm. here's the thing you could try, I, the way I see it, you can break it down into kind of two options. If what you're going for is maximum compatibility, yep. then you either have everyone just be super altruistic or you have everyone be super self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. Super then, self-sufficient, mm-hmm. you're not going to get large-scale society, right? That's the main objection. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have nothing that like needs to be a big collaborative endeavor. But maybe everyone just goes and lives in like small tribes or off by themselves. And you just have way fewer people, but it just works. Mm-hmm. Like lone predators. Maybe you have, you, you, by chance you pick, the person you pick is actually a sleeper agent, right? And Mm -hmm. they are, so they are programmed to be, I mean, this is literally just beehives. They're programmed to be (laughs) like normal, (laughs) subservient, altruistic, and they do everything for the good of the community. Until activated. And everyone has the potential to be activated, but the single activation point, and they become a leader of these masses. That's amazing. So we're talking about bees, essentially. Like, the, the optimal person is a bee. Yeah, I mean, essentially. In this scenario, like it would be a bee. But I actually, I wonder a lot about the psychology of spies. You know, people who are able to live um, crazy double lives for, you know, prolonged periods. Um, like, what's going on in there? Is there more than one personality? But, like, not in a sort of a pathological, they'd section you way, but, like, somehow functionally? What is going on? Oh, maybe, the... maybe we need people with multiple personalities. Right? Yes, exactly. Maybe that's how you get the diversification that you need, you know? Yeah, you wake it's up and possible. today you're Steve and you really like coding and off you go. Yeah, um, and... pe- people who are very susceptible to their circumstances, like extremely impressionable. You either need, again, you either need extreme susceptibility to um, external influence or people who are just a rock. And yep. and maybe, I don't know, I, I hope that you could find, because a very generic and just like easily tessellatable, essentially, just stackable, simple people, just human <laughs> squares, like that's a you simple way of in, doing it. You keep them all in containers, <laughs> literally. Yeah, it's up. just so easy to store, there's no gaps. Um, <laughs> or is there, what I hope is that there'd be some ways to find like constructive interference in like more, more jaggedy, you know, like more interesting tessellatable sh- shapes, like, oh, it's a weird star shape, you wouldn't think it fits together, but actually it does um so like they annoy each other in some key areas but they actually create value that way like by being very competitive for example yeah you could get very competitive people extremely driven um and then nobody's very happy because they're all just fiercely striving the whole time but society as a whole benefits i guess the thing is if you get everyone like ultra competitive but what you need to do is in the upbringing of these people you need to make their values very different so for example if there's jobs Mm. that you that you're struggling to if you have very intelligent people and there's jobs that you struggle for them to fill um like let's say quite low you know you don't need much mental effort to do it um right so but you need to make it so that it's a game to them and so that 
reaching the peak of the fast food industry, just as an example, um, mm-hmm. becomes their ultimate goal in life. And that's seen as the best possible thing that you can achieve. And so oh, sure. you, you select those people who, who you could also do the same thing for going to space or being a scientist or cleaning out fatbergs from a drain. But you make it seem to them like that is the ultimate achievement in society and so that everyone praises them for it. I totally agree. I mean, kind of like it works in The Sims, like whichever career path you choose, you can get to level 10 or whatever, and you will be, you will achieve ultimate fulfillment through mm-hmm. that career path, whether it's astronaut or I don't know, is fast food worker one of the options? I haven't played much Sims. Um, <laughs> I agree, but I feel like we're che- cheating a little bit by getting to choose how people are indoctrinated. Right. I think okay. the, the key is that this is kind of a fire and forget operation on the part of these aliens. They've got to hit up, you know, a thousand other worlds. So they really are just going to dump a load of the same person and leave. And they need to just know that it's just going to work itself out. Like, like if you dumped a load of magnets into a box, just pile them in any which way, but like you know that they're going to arrange themselves into like a, a lattice like structure because that's just how the poles are going to arrange them like the forces will work out and you will get the structure that you want so thinking of like building blocks is how i'm now thinking of it so what if you have somehow you construct a person's brain this is the one brain that you have but so that in a unit of one it is mm-hmm. good at this set of tasks in a unit of two it becomes a sort of they're a sort of joint mind and they become oh, good at these tasks unit of three these tasks, etc., etc., so that you get all these like there are the the individual workers, and then there are the like I don't know the office jobs, which are like two people, but mm. they work as one, um, like with synced up brains somehow, and then like three, four, five, six, and then like there's groups of a hundred literally running governments. I like this a lot, but you'd I feel like if it's if it's just a sort of number of people in close proximity, then you run into a problem, right? Because like you've got your government of a hundred people, and it has to be a hundred people. Like if too many people are off sick one month, yep. then like suddenly it's like oh, I'm not really interested in this anymore. Do you guys want to be lawyers? Do you have an urge to do some brain surgery right now? <laughs> I yeah, exactly. Do. Like I feel kind of good at it as well. Yeah, or you know they go and they go in diplomatic meeting, like you know you have, the, you have your UN summit or whatever, <laughs> and now everyone is just doing something else because there's too many people they all become some other conglomerate i love the idea of that chaos though that'd be great or like that yeah would be interesting like they happen to pick a guy who just like inherently loves football no matter how many of him there are loves football so they, mm-hmm. they go to a football game and there's like ten thousand people there and he becomes a sort of superhuman uh godlike <laughs> figure we're talking about like a human nanobot that is able to like network yeah. and, and draw on the power of all the uh the individual components of the colony yeah that is cool, although we're, we're radically changing the definition of what it is to be human. But some animals, I feel, are kind of already there because aren't there some where it's like, um, gosh, they have things, they have triggers like, uh, one of the dark things we're told about Finding Nemo is that uh, with clownfish, if all the babies had actually died uh, and there was a risk of sort of losing this bloodline, then I gather, um, what's he called? Marvin, the dad? Is he Marvin? I think, I think so. Marvin, yes. Uh, he would have changed uh, sex and become female in <laughs> yes. order to mate with Nemo, right? Yeah, because that's how you <laughs> propagate the bloodline. Uh, much more sensible. So these fish are able to like receive whatever triggers. Like, huh, I don't see as many kids around as I used to, and I'm pretty sure I had kids. Mm-hmm. Um, well, guess it's time to become a female <laughs> and mate with the one remaining specimen. Like, yeah. that's on the table. That's an option. Who knows what else they've got locked in there, you know? Like, in a specific... 
you know, like, huh, this water isn't as salty as it used to be. Guess I'm a freshwater fish now, you know? Like, we don't know what potential they have. And there may be other species doing similar things. Like, I gather orangutans, the um, the dominant male in a tribe or a colony or a group or whatever, uh, has giant cheek pads. Yeah, yeah, which he just right? grows as soon as he becomes the dominant male. Right, how weird is that? Like, a radical biological change happening as a result of, of a social status position. It's like if the president became really handsome or something, or grew happen. an extra arm. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, something like that. It's, I mean, I, I believe uh, orangutans find the uh, cheek pads particularly sexy, so it is kind of similar. Yeah, so we need a person that would do this, essentially, but, like, way more way more trigger points, way more complexity. Yeah, and I guess also, like, locusts, how an individual locust by itself is normally quite peaceful. But if you ram enough of them together, they create these massive swarms, which they become hyper-aggressive, their behaviour completely changes, and they, they start, you know, decimating crops left, right, really? and centre. Mm-hmm. I didn't know they became more aggressive. I thought they just ate more because there was more of them. No, it, it's a fundamental change in how they... They, yeah, they act. So they know they're being mean. They're doing it on purpose, <laughs> you're saying. I thought they were just hungry. It turns out they're angry. Angry. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, that sucks. An idea for a, a person that I would just like to, you know, if it had to be one person, I'd love it to just be David Attenborough. Like, I don't have oh, much to say yes. about it, but just how soothing it would be. Like, yeah, everyone's talking in that same voice, just observing each other quietly, non-judgmentally. But just think of all the, the animals, like, just, they'd be like, what the hell is going on? Because it's just like 50 <laughs> David Attenborough sat around them, admiring them. Every penguin surrounded. And there's yeah. this constant, you know, just whispering susurrus of like, because everyone is, he's all speaking over himself as he speaks to an imaginary camera. Yes, but extremely comforting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'd be so easy to sleep in that world. Like, if, if the aliens were doing it for their own benefit rather than, like, human society's benefit. Oh, yeah, they're creating it as, like, a, a radio channel they can tune into. Like, hey, let's create an ultra-relaxing radio channel where we can just listen in and it'll help yeah. us go to sleep. And they just like, ASMR tune into world. Earth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they just zone out. Tune in and zone out. Yeah. Good night. Yeah, that's amazing. I like that. I, Stephen Fry as well. I just feel like that'd mm-hmm. be great. I can't imagine a society of Stephen Fry's going poorly. He's very tolerant, you know, intelligent, compassionate guy. Although I do, I do understand that when he was younger, and I think he still does have some, um, uh, what's it called? Um, I gather he's bipolar. Bipolar. Yeah, there we go. So um, at this least is if it was point. his younger self, that would be quite chaotic, I think. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're right. Well, maybe what you want is the most balanced, healthy individual. And so... The most zen person, right? Just, we're kind of going back to that generic everyman, but it's not that they're so boring, it's that they're so highly evolved. Right, so kind of like the Dalai Lama. So it's just, you're just so um, at one with everything that you're going to be fine. Exactly. Now, I'm suspicious of the actual Dalai Lama. Um, <laughs> Why? Are you... Oh, he's great, isn't he? Is he? Okay, I, well, I don't know enough mm, about the guy. No, I did really like him, and then I read something that he had said some things about women. Anyway, I'm not going to go into it, because <laughs> I don't knows? know enough. <laughs> I, I, I'm loudly proclaiming my own ignorance. I genuinely don't know. I'm just suspicious of people in power, and I gather he's like an immortal god king. And it just, maybe it's that much easier to be Zen when you've got like all of society propping you up, basically. Mm-hmm. We need people who would be able to be individually Zen. Yeah. Who could be both Zen and the prop. Yes, exactly. We need, we need that perfect yin yang person. And then I wonder, the issue would be is that they just, if everyone is supremely satisfied with the status quo, 
you lose all progress. Yeah. Right? Nobody would want to change anything. So you'd have no bigotry, you'd have no wars, you'd have no people, you know, there'd be no downtrodden anymore. But also there'd be no one trying to make anything better because they're just happy with how it is. Yeah. I mean, films would problem, become though? very dull. <laughs> wouldn't they? No, they wouldn't, though, because those people wouldn't be finding it. Or they just wouldn't need films anymore. Why would you need that? Just be in the moment, you know, enjoy these lovely flowers. But if you had everyone the same, let's assume they did want to watch a film. It would, it would just be the same character, but they'd all act exactly the same way. They wouldn't have any idea of to act any other way because the only people around them all think and act exactly the same. So there's no drama because everyone's like, oh, I can totally relate to this guy. Yes, I can because he's me. Why am I watching this? Yeah. They'd, all just, they'd all just shake hands and then smile at each other. But what you've got to remember is that this film is being directed by... I mean, nobody <laughs> nobody's written the script to, to introduce tension. There's no three-act kind of like, oh, the call to adventure, the conflict, you know, the last-minute struggle, the, the Hail Mary. No, there's none of that because they're just like, you know what, this... We're just going to film some ocean waves. Or it would all be a, um, a biopic about their life. So every- their life. Yeah. So, so everyone is just like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Can- oh this is good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. this. <laughs> I feel like they wouldn't be that self-involved, though. What else would they- What else could you be apart from self-involved? But if you were the supremely uh, well-evolved, uh, like, well-rounded human, I don't know. I feel like they- they'd have a, a communal... You know, like, we're talking, like, an extreme hippie. Mm-hmm. But, like, not a poser. Someone who's just really into, like, the the communal bliss of just everyone being on the same page and we're all brothers and sisters and, you know, universal love and all the rest of it. Yeah. My thought of who might be the best for this. Did you ever watch Mr. Ben? Oh, yes! So uh, was, Mr. Ben was the kid's cartoon character who would... I think he would go into his closet and every time he'd mm-hmm. come out in a different costume and go to work as that thing... Is that what he did? I thought he had a, a magical. Didn't he? Didn't he get like, transported to like like he'd put on a, a Roman centurion uniform and then he'd be transported to oh, yeah. Rome no, when that's he stepped right. into the closet. That's right. Yeah, I don't think it was just. It wasn't just about a transvestite or like a person <laughs> who enjoyed going to work in dress up. I think no, there was like, some magic involved. That does sound right. But he could turn his hand to anything. He really could actually. Yeah, jack of all trades. And he'd be happy doing it. He was always happy. That's oh gosh, Mister Ben, the ultimate person. Yeah, that's very possible. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> what, what, I, what I do find interesting, though, is, is the concept of if you've got this society, right? Everyone's exactly the same. Let's say it's the ultimate person. They're really, everyone's happy with this scenario. What mm-hmm. then happens if you introduce one new person? Ooh, I think it really depends. Um, is the new person a, an unsure of themselves sort of ingenue supplicant to be drawn into this kind of like universal cult of oneness? Mm. Or is yeah, it, or is it a very... Flow? Um, self-sufficient, independent person who's like, "What the hell is this?" I don't. Yeah, like this gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't want to join in your chants and all the rest of it. Like, I just want to like leave me alone, get out of my business. Or... I guess it would be like every film where they enter a weird cult. <laughs> yes. Just like, what's going on? Here? Nobody's ever sympathetic to the to the hippies or whatever. We're very much in like a hippie bashing uh, sort of media phase where it's like, okay, you weirdos with your drugs and your universal harmonies and whatever, ha ha, what a silly joke. Anyway, back to our repressive capitalism, which is the only <laughs> true way to live. <laughs> and then we, you know, we then we, uh, we self-referentially joke about the oppressive capitalism, but like, we've lost uh, whatever faith that um, there is a way of doing things better together and we can achieve oneness. I feel like we're in a, quite a cynical uh, historical phase. So yeah, if you brought in the cynic, 
or the, uh, you know, the, the profiteering capitalist or the entrepreneur, then you'd be in real trouble. It would basically be like what the, uh, what the gray squirrels did to the uh, red squirrels <laughs> on this noble island of Lighty. But the thing is, you could like, if you were that person, test out, like if you, let's say that they were a, a psychopath, and they want to kill people, they could kill mm. one person, they'd be like, oh, that worked well. Yeah, that didn't work so well. Uh, okay. And then they just learn from that for the next one, because they're all exactly the same. So they'd all acted exactly the same way. Oh, so if the aliens were producing this as um, <laughs> as a human hunting ground, <laughs> yeah, so that they can invite their rich alien friends over for a spot of illegal poaching <laughs> and just wander around with an alien rifle, yeah, it's a kind of because I feel hunters are cowards. Can we agree on this point? Yeah, yeah. I feel like the age of like the the <laughs> the empire, <laughs> the imperial explorer, right? The, the British chap with the native guide and the, you know, the, his, his trusty rifle and he's, he's off to shoot the man-eating tigers in deepest, darkest India or whatever. He could lay claim to a little bit of heroism because, uh, you know, new territory, there was no GPS or whatever. Um, he was using, like, for us, quite primitive weapons. And I don't know, maybe, maybe they did have it all figured out and there was a load of backup guys and like the stories were all hugely inflated. I don't know. Or maybe they had a chance of actually dying at the hands of the tiger, which I think yeah. is the only thing that lends heroism to... Yeah, uh, kind of like the, the old kings who would die on boar hunts because it's literally a giant yes. pig with tusks and they're standing there with a spear. Exactly. Unless there's a chance they're going to die. This is what bothers me about, um, about hunting in the modern day. I mean, you know, apart from that it's a, a gruesome blood sport. But like... I, I get a little bit of a kick out of it when it turns out that the bull in a bullfight has gored the matador because I feel like they're, you know, striking a blow for equality because I don't <laughs> like it when they dose them up with uh, tranquilizers and chuck a bunch of spears into them from a safe distance and just make it really easy for the guy. Like, what is the point of celebrating this guy if he's, if he's not standing a legitimate chance of getting gored? Like, if you're gonna sit around and watch living creatures fight to the death, at the very least have it be an interesting fight. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, long diatribe about why I don't really like hunting, <laughs> but that's exactly what people go in for, isn't it? They get the beaters to wander around and usher these overfed pheasants into the air so that they can go pow pow with shotguns, which are all about just spattering the air with pellets. So you're bound to hit something. Yeah. That's what people, that's what the people crave. So, so that's, you generate that's a society. The, yeah. That's what the aliens would crave. Yeah, same people. Like when you've shot one, you've shot them all. You can you can give people one briefing, and they know exactly what they're going for. Well, exactly. You could, and presumably we would, as everyone is exactly the same. You would probably want to choose people who are naturally herd together because you yeah. want everyone society Docile. to function. So it's like heading out into a field of wildebeest, just like all these people charging past, and you're you know with your ultra high tech technology. Just, yeah, except uh, they're really slow, and you know the humans. There's no horns or whatever. It's even easier. Yeah. Fish in a barrel, really. It's quite depressing, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> the ultimate human is the barrel fish. That was the Hypotheticals podcast. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Hypotheticals. That's hypotheticals without the R. Follow me individually at Rain Tortoise. That's Rain like the weather phenomenon. And Tortoise like the animal. And you can follow me at Mr. Howell. That's M-R-H-O-W-L. If you've enjoyed this, please do leave us a review on iTunes. Because it really helps. And we'll see you next time. Bye!
Yeah, that's amazing. I like that. I, Stephen Fry as well. I just feel like that'd mm-hmm. be great. He's <clears throat> God. I'm so sorry. I got a poorly timed burp there. He is God. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one for the blooper reel. <clears throat> Let me try that again.